0: You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Good afternoon and welcome to Washington Post Live. My name is Matea Gold and I'm the National Political Enterprise and Investigations Editor here at The Post. For the last five months, a team of 75 journalists in our newsroom have been investigating the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol, looking at the causes, cost, and aftermath of the insurrection. Today, I am joined by two of the most compelling figures in the series we just published. Donnell Harvin served as Director of Intelligence in D.C.'s Office of Homeland Security and is now at the RAND Corporation. And Clinton Hickman is a member of the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors in Arizona. Gentlemen, welcome to you both, and thank you so much for your time today.
1: Thank you. Thank you. you thank both-
0: You both had an early view at some of the anger and disinformation that would come to drive President Trump supporters to Washington on January 6th. And let's start with that. Danelle, I'd like to hear from you what you saw early on that really made you alarmed. And particularly, can you describe how President Trump's December 19th tweet to be there, be wild, changed the threat landscape? How did that activate extremists online?
1: Well, um, what we saw before the 19th was really a lot of the same uh, threat information and intelligence that we had seen in November, uh, October, November. Uh, it was the same groups uh, basically sharing the same information about uh, coming to the district. There were planned events. Uh, there was a lot of activity. on. After the tweet, however, we saw an exponential rise, not only in the number of individuals that were looking to come to DC to demonstrate, but also the level, the, 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 the talk of violence. Uh, we saw many what we call threats of concern, uh, posts of concern rather, with threatening information. Uh, and as we got closer and closer, we saw them sharing information. Uh, tactics, techniques, and procedures, we call them TTPs, that would lend itself to essentially an attack.
0: Clint, meanwhile, on the other side of the country, you were seeing your own early signs of warning of what was to come. Uh, As chairman of the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors in 2020, uh, your board was responsible for certifying the election results. Walk us through what you started seeing right even on election night and the immediate days aftermath. What, What gave you pause? What made you worried?
2: Well, before I answer that question, uh, matteo, I just also wanted to uh, reach out and say what a what a great story. Uh, I read it on Sunday. I hope your readers read it all the way through. And uh, it's really, really great to be with Danelle and reading his story. Uh, there's there was heroes involved with with this, and I, I want to thank him for his service to the to the country and what he does for a living. It was fantastic. Um, yeah, we. Uh, <sighs> The election day, uh, the issue started that that night. I was I started to get some phone calls even while I was watching election returns. Um, the Maricopa County went to a different format uh, with their balloting style, and we started seeing uh, some some just educational uh, questions being asked about that, uh, and then and then it went into full-fledged uh, fury uh, le- that night d- directly after um, Fox. Fox News announced the winner so early, which was was kind of shocking to me. It still is, um, and we started to see some people come to our ballot center uh, and start and start protesting, even even as early as that same night. And it's and it started to uh, gain speed and traction uh, with inviting a lot more people, including including congressional uh, people, going to our MCTEC center. So uh, this we've been at this now for. a year and it's uh it's it's difficult and our board really uh started to take fire as we were getting ready to canvas the vote uh and and we thought we were answering questions uh with that three-hour canvas thinking of everything we possibly could think of to ask our elections team did we cover everything thoroughly and according to the state law and we felt good about it that night uh, and and off off we off we went again. It seemed to answer no questions for the public.
0: And and Clint, you personally supported President Trump and worked for his reelection, and then came under a pressure campaign by allies of the president, and even fielded phone calls from the White House itself. Uh, tell us a little bit about what that was that experience was like.
2: Yeah, I did. I I endorsed President Trump. I voted for him twice. Um, and uh worked worked hard in especially in the rural areas of of the state um and i i did my uh best for for them that's what i thought i was uh to do was to work for the top of the ticket i'm a republican and i have been since my first vote first was ronald reagan and in, in uh 1987 i believe so um or i'm sorry 88 88 run um i'm sorry again 84 good grief uh, so, uh, yeah, I supported the candidate, um, uh, President Trump got around and then uh, um, not not so much the allies of President Trump that I was uh, working with alongside the election, but the people, the people that were to the side of it, the people that said that they were trying to help. Uh, that's where that's where uh, I got it. And I and by all means, I was chairman at the time, but my entire board uh, was was taking shots. Uh, from people, both in in our state and outside of the state, trying to get us to do things that we would not do.
0: And, Danelle, we describe a a pretty dramatic scene in uh, part one of the series on December 30th, when a young analyst in your office presents to you the worst case scenarios of what he thinks could happen on January 6th. Tell uh, tell us a little bit about what Mm -hmm. you found most chilling about his presentation and how you then tried to raise alarm bells. Mm
1: Well, a week before any major event, we uh, engage in something that uh, it's called in the intelligence community red teaming. Uh, that's when you sit down, you look at all your assumptions, and we have someone in the in the team that challenges your assumptions and gives you a scenario that's quite difficult. In this particular case, our lead analyst, who was was one of our junior analysts, keep in mind because we had thought that this event would be like the other events we had seen before up until December nineteenth. Um, um, our lead analyst uh, created a picture in which there were uh, multitudes more people than we had expected. Uh, Many of them were armed and sequestering weapons. And as a diversionary tactic, two improvised explosive devices or IEDs were placed near the Capitol to draw law enforcement out to cut their numbers in half. And and using that as a diversionary tactic, the crowd would um, attack the the Capitol. Uh, This was predicted by this analyst a week before it actually happened. Um, Based on that, plus based on some of the threat the new threat information that was just emerging on a constant basis we decided to elevate our concerns. Um, I, reported, I reported that to my media supervisor, who is, uh, who is the uh, director of Homeland Security and Emergency Management, um, that we were seeing actors coming into DC that we had never seen before. Not only were we seeing groups converging uh, or saying that we're gonna converge into DC, uh, but we were seeing these unholy alliances between groups that generally don't um, really exist in the same space. Uh, they're very single-issue groups, and they don't really uh, converse with each other. Uh, so it's very dangerous, particularly when you talk about the armed militia.
0: You describe in the story how you became so concerned that you even warned area hospitals to stock up on blood. Tell us a little bit about how personally concerned you were headed into this day. I mean, w- w- Was this keeping you up at night?
1: It was actually it was it was keeping me up at night um, so much so that I, I reached out to Mike Senna, who, who's um, quoted in, in the in the piece. Uh, he's my counterpart and, and also my mentor um, in this space. Um, so I reached out all the way to California to seek advice on a Saturday after New Year's. And I and I and I remember the conversation vividly. I was in the grocery store and I said, Mike, is it me? Because um, I was relatively new in my position. I was in my position for two years. am, am I overly concerned? for no reason or is there cause there? And after speaking with Mike very briefly, he he felt that there was concern because he was also seeing that in his jurisdiction. And he suggested we get a few of the fusion centers together um, to have a conversation about it. Uh, It was keeping me up at night on uh, as you as you um, reported on Monday, uh, January 4th, um, I started calling as many people as we can we can talk to to give briefings and we put that junior analyst who was our lead analyst in front of everybody. Um, One thing that we didn't report is that we even uh, briefed out the medical examiner's office. Um, So we were talking to the hospitals about preparing for a mass casualty event. And then literally right after we were talking to the medical examiner's office to prepare for a mass fatality event. Event as well.
0: And what about these threats made you feel that this wasn't just sort of business as usual people online spouting off um, sort of you know, claims of what they were going to do? What made you feel that it was serious and this was something that really needed to be uh, responded to with urgency?
1: Quite frankly, it's the actors. Uh, the, these armed militia are serious players. They are not to be. Um, they are not to be. Their capabilities are not to be doubted. They're well trained. They're well organized. Many of them have former um, uh, law enforcement or military background, and we once again, these are groups that we had never seen come to the District of Columbia. Uh, we know they're out there, we monitor them, uh, but they're not really our concern because they don't really uh, impact our area of responsibility. When we start seeing armed militia come to a city that does not allow you to have arms, you have to make a quick decision. A, are they leaving their arms at home and laying them down and coming to the city peacefully? Or are they bringing their arms and trying to sequester them? And then that's exactly the latter. What we saw online is um, the suggestions, suggestions. Uh, 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 you know, recommendations on how to sequester long guns and pistols and how to come into D.C. with your arms uh, without being spotted by police.
0: Clint, I want to take you back to the moment when the board in Maricopa sat down together to certify Joe Biden's win in the county. You had come under immense pressure yourself and your fellow supervisors. How did you feel at that moment? Did you know what was going to happen and what did you think was going to happen after the certification?
2: Yeah, so it, it's always, the, when you're a chairman, you set the agenda and you put things up for a vote, but we're, we're a board of equals uh, representing five different districts. So um, as a chairman, I was, I was wanting to make sure uh, that I was getting our board members, uh, the, their questions answered um, using staff uh, uh, time. But I wanted to show the public, uh, if you watched our canvas, three, three hours of, of questions and answer sessions, uh, all the way to culminate in a vote, and there were there was pressure campaigns going on uh, to try to get different counties not to canvass the vote um, to to throw it back uh, but there was just no reason that we could see um, it, it either becomes a thing about trust, about the people that you have hired uh, to do these jobs, about the people that worked. Uh, in these jobs, both Republicans and Democrats, some people performing, volunteer civic duty. Uh, I, I knew we had so many eyes on it, and and Arizona does elections really, really well. And uh, because I was a chairman during a pandemic, there was so many different concerns about public health that I just really had to throw myself into. So uh, basically, uh, it was nerve-wracking um, that that three hours. I didn't know. For sure, how my colleagues were going to vote uh, there's open meeting laws you 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 can discuss things, but you cannot discuss how you 're going to vote so I just didn 't know at that point if if I had provided enough information for my board, so uh, I would have to say that we t- took our vote meanwhile uh, at the auditorium on on the days as well as that vote, there were people banging drums, threatening violence against us. Uh, beating on the door uh, and and trying an intimidation technique. Uh, and it just didn't work. We took the vote and we went 5-0 to Canvas and certify the vote for Maricopa County and to send it and to send it to the governor, the attorney general, and the secretary of state. So I would have to just say when I was driving home there was a great sense of relief because there was five votes, Democrat and Republican. Uh, that had their questions answered and felt good and confident in the certification of that vote.
0: Let's talk a little bit about both of your experiences on the day of January 6th. Uh Danelle, let's start with you. We report in the series there were more flares of signs of, of potential violence in the morning that day. When did it first hit you? What did you see that morning that first got you worried and, and how serious did you start thinking this was going to be
1: well I- I realized uh, on my drive in, I I was, uh, as soon as I hit the district um, on the highway, I was surrounded, literally. Uh, It it felt like rush hour traffic, and it was uh, obviously, it's it's not a busy day that day. Um, And every, there were uh, a lot of -of out-of-state plates and everyone had uh, stops to steal flags or stickers or uh, kind of um, indicators that they were going to the rally and i called into my fusion center and i said to my deputy i said this is going to be pretty big and he said um we're getting reports of that coming from north and south as well Um, and so you know we we prepared for a really busy day i do want to take a step back and and say that one of the reasons why we were really concerned about having a mass casualty or mass fatality event is because we were concerned not only of, of violence against the capital and staff there, but we were also concerned about interpersonal violence with counter-protesters. Uh, we had seen a, a lot of people on the other side of the spectrum uh, over the last year uh, in DC, and we, we were hoping that they would stay home. And they actually did. Um, the mayor, several days before January 6th, put out a, a, an announcement to the public and asking them to stay home. And I believe that saved lives. Um, it, it could have been a lot worse.
0: There's a moment on January 6th where you're actually watching some of the early footage in the Air command center of protesters starting to breach the Capitol. Take us to that moment a little bit. What was that like for you after all this anxiety and worries about where were this going, where this was going, to see that that breach start to happen?
1: It, it was horrific because we we have the ability to uh, see what's going on. Uh, before the, the uh, cable networks and news networks are able to do that. And so the first thing I did was I reached out to my, my uh, Intel staffer that we had embedded there two days before, by the way, uh, into the Capitol with their operation because we figured that things would go bad. Um, I reached out to him. He didn't answer his phone. I reached out to uh, my counterpart uh, in the ca- uh, Capitol Police's Intel unit and I took screenshots of what I was seeing and I said, um, I said, my friend, they're, they're they're breaching, and he said, we know, we know, and that's all I got from him. And then uh, it it got really, it escalated relatively quickly. And I ran down a hall uh, to where my other executives in our agency were meeting in the command center, and I said, they're breaching the Capitol. Um, they were watching the cable news networks that didn't didn't show that because the cable news networks weren't downrange; they weren't actually there to see that, and. You know, They said, well, that's not what we're seeing. I said, you're going to see that soon. And so I, I, I kind of ran back and, and, and brought my boss with me and he was seeing what we were actually seeing about about five or six minutes before the news networks even even um, carried it. So we had advance notice and we were able to kind of activate uh, sort a lot of phone calls and, and get things rolling and get them some extra help.
0: And as your analyst had predicted in worst case scenario, there actually was a diversionary event. Walk us through a little bit about what happened at the RNC and the DNC that day and how that affected the response
1: that that was an out-of-body experience for me personally uh when the phone rang and my deputy who, who was deployed in the field said Danelle you're not going to believe this but uh there are two um, improvised explosive devices or what we believe are improvised, improvised explosive devices IEDs uh, that have been placed in the RNC and DNC they're being investigated now um, and a large law enforcement uh, detachment has been sent there to investigate and he said and he ended with is this really happening and I couldn't answer him because I was stunned um, it, it was. It was. Uh, you, you know, you never want to be right when it, when it's when it's a bad outcome. So I mean, I'll I'll leave it at that. It was um, great analytical work on behalf of my team. They're, they're really the stars of the operation. Uh, they thought through multiple potential threat scenarios. We practiced them internally. We shared the information that we could, um, and and we were ready. Uh, unfortunately, the outcome wasn't wasn't optimal.
0: Clint, meanwhile, you are headed into January 6th with sort of a a sense of relief, I understand, a feeling that this pressure that had been on you as chairman during this incredibly difficult election year was about to be lifted because you were handing off your gavel at a ceremony to one of your fellow supervisors. Take us through a little bit about what happened to you on January 6th and what happened when you went home that day.
2: Well, I, I first of all I want kind of want to reflect real quickly on what Donnell said um about the, the confluence of people from out of state, you know, um and when it comes to guns. And uh Arizona has been an open carry state for a long time and I'm I'm so used to to seeing that in the grocery stores and and around. Um I, I will take back a couple of days earlier when there was a protest uh, at the state capitol about the election and I, I got to see some of these people. Um, deciding to bring automatic weapons, um, you know, uh, long rifles to, to the state capital. And I, I don't ever view that as intimidation. Intimidation. It It's meant to be intimidating, but uh, to me, it's just like it, it works in reverse. It's just what most of the time you find out those people aren't even from Arizona either, uh, walking around with a gun. So um, I don't view it, uh, they They try to use that as intimidation, but I can't imagine what the nation capital with 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 that kind of scene that was going on that Donnell had to live with and see that uh, see that going down um yeah I'll just real quickly i uh uh January sixth I was viewing as an event um, uh, we knew we knew they were going to vote for the presidential electors in washington d c but that that is a a big time for a chairman either un- incoming or outgoing. And I had lived through a pandemic, uh, making decisions, at eight o'clock in the morning decisions every, every day with our group, uh, some, of the, some of the worst things about public health. And I was reflecting more on that, not so much the election and, and the experience we were going through there, because we had so many different things to think about. And I was just beat. I was, I was uh, exhausted. And I knew that we had a new chairman coming in. And I just felt a little bit of relief driving in. Uh, that uh, I was going to now be able to just put my hand instead of instead of my hand being on the tip of the spear. Now it's now it's going to be on the on a shield with with my other guys and let and let another chairman lead and do what he feels best uh, when it comes to Mm -hmm. comes to these arguments about the election. I was looking forward to supporting him. And then uh, just real quickly, uh, that went down. Great thing said, I felt really good driving home until I saw the protection unit. Uh, at my house and uh, then I was called, talked to them, called into my house by my wife and said, look what's going on on TV and seeing, you know, a place the Capitol with windows being shattered and doors being knocked in and and um, and their protection units being assaulted. Uh, I walked out and, and talked to my protection group and they were saying, you know, they were trying to get me to leave my house and uh, a dad protects his house, protects his kids. And I, I didn't want to leave. I saw those images, walked out. The sheriff's office said, "Please, for us, leave your house tonight." And uh, I said, "I'm, I, I'm out. I, I understand that. Let's, let's go." And we, and we, and we left our house that night. And the threats
0: have not subsided. Uh, in Maricopa County after January 6th and in many ways you've been at the center of the storm of the post-January 6th attacks on voting after state Republicans uh, forced a ballot review of the vote there in Maricopa County, which of course came up with the same numbers as the official tally that Joe Biden won the county. But tell us a little bit about what it's been like to be at the center of that storm in the past year. Um, It doesn't feel like this has gone away for those of you who've been dealing with questions coming from the president and his allies about voting. And I know you've fielded death threats as well as other officials in the county. What has that been like, and what do you think that says uh, for folks who are considering public service, and and what are the ramifications?
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's been a roller coaster uh, for us. And you know, as many calls as I get about threats, I I get probably twice as many about support. How can we support you? Uh, what's what what can we do for you? But there's a lot of people that want to hey, they don't want to take the abuse and they want to stand down, and that's that's the problem I'm seeing. Uh, with people calling me about public service. I I took this job to be a public servant. My family business has been here. I've grown up here in the West Valley, and this was a perfect position for me to be in, to actually help run a government uh, that can support the growth of the West Valley uh, in right ways, and the West Valley's growing there's other people that want to do that and want to work for their communities all the way down to school boards but everybody is reading about these threats from school boards to uh on down and it's become so political um and it's and it's all based on what's going on you know on, at at one federal contest and and uh i shudder uh to think of the people that po- this type of behavior is enticing uh to become uh to be in politics because People, like I've always viewed it, this is about the last thing we want to put our families through. And um, I'm an I'm a optimist, and I try to do the best I can to get great people to be involved in government, either by public service, by being, um, by being elected, or by even working. And we are losing competent election workers across the United States because they just can't take the threats. And you know what? If I, if I can say that this I do it gladly and take the threats for them so I can keep people, good, solid people working in those departments, doing their, their civic duties, Democrats, Republicans, Libertarians, uh, I, I, I'm going to do my best.
0: Janelle, I'd love to get your thoughts on the lessons of January 6th. The Washington Fusion Center that you ran is one of 80 such centers around the country that were set up in the wake of the 9-11 attacks to better leverage intelligence. Why do you think the intelligence you and others gathered uh, in advance of January 6th went unheeded? And and what can the system do better to prevent this from happening the next time?
1: Before I answer that if you, if you could um allow me uh, one of the, the the my lessons learned from January 6 is that there's a lot of unsung here me uh, compliments but uh, you know uh, We're people like Clinton. go ahead to um so what, one of the lessons that I learned uh on January 6 is that um if it weren't for people like Clint, we would not live in a democracy. Uh, People like Clint, uh, civil servants who show up and and do this very difficult work at at personal, uh, at at, at, at times personal uh, expense uh, to their own safety, really, really define what a democracy is and, and the rule of law. The network of fusion centers worked. Uh, if you understand the, the dynamics of the intelligence enterprise, uh, our job is to collect, analyze, and disseminate information. Uh, very few fusion centers have an operational uh, responsibility, uh, boots on the ground to, to do anything. And so post 9-11, it was important that the state and local government share information, uh, be good um, uh, stakeholders of that information and and purvey that information to all the the key players that need to have that. And that's what happened. In fact, it happened in an unprecedented way. And so I'm really proud of the Fusion Center Network. I think it's a great model. I, I think it's underutilized in many places. Um, and I think that what we've seen, not, not just, you know, leading up to January 6th, but what we've seen over the last few years is, is really a degradation of public trust and in public institutions. And so uh, hopefully we can get to a place that not only intelligence and information is uh, consumed and appreciated, but also uh, science, because uh, a lot of this, these things are wrapped in, in, in one as far as uh, public trust.
0: Clinton, the 60 seconds we have left. I'd love your thoughts. What are the lessons you take away from January
2: 6th? Uh, The lessons I take away from it. Danelle, thank you very much for that compliment. And I'm gonna extend that out for your words to the thousands of people that are still dealing with this election and the the aftermath. So thank you very much. There's a lot of people working hard uh, still in these categories. In fact, it's election day for off year election today here in in Arizona and our recorder and our group is is working on that. so I want to, uh, I think the lessons to me is uh, watching people breach the Capitol, uh, and I was there at the Capitol one year before with my family, walking in those hallowed halls and, um, and thinking of all the great people that have walked those halls uh, and had the opportunity. It, it's, to me, it's almost like people decided to break into a church, and um, and, and the church is, is the American democracy that they broke into. I, I would just wish that people still get that innate feeling that they had watching the, these scenes. Their, their stories might change in their head right now, but we need to become Americans again. We are Americans first. Um, I never walk up to cocktail parties and ask what party people are from. Um, I know they're Americans. Uh, and we need, to, we need to reach deep into our core again and say, hey, you know what? It's time, to, it's time to become one again. And I, I, have, a, I have a son that's 16 and, a, and another that's 14. I don't, I don't want to send my son off to war to fight some foreign enemy to feel like an American again. And I damn sure don't want him fighting fellow Americans to prove just how American he is. It's just not the way to go. So let's, let's get back to being American again.
0: Well, a very powerful conversation and comments from both of you. Thank you so much. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have today. Thank you for participating in our forum and in the larger report. I'm Matea Gold. As always, thank you for watching. To read our full investigation about the January 6th attack on the Capitol, please go to WashingtonPost.com. Thanks so much for watching. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, Go to WashingtonPostLive.com.